Hello and Merry Christmas podcast listeners and welcome to the 25th of December 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. So this is Christmas. We here at Hong Kong Stories hope your Christmas is a safe and happy one with friends or family or the company of a good book or however you roll. We have two stories for you today on this last Christmas of the decade, appropriately about religious experiences, though not in the way that you might expect from a podcast published on Christmas Day. The first is from Jessica, about an experience in a church, and the second is from Gina, with a question of religion. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge heap of thank yous go out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. The best holiday wishes and the most heartwarming of seasonal cheers go out to you today. Thanks for tuning in goes out too to our listeners in other parts of the globe. This week, listeners in Ulaanbaatar and Mongolia, Esplude de la Bugat in Spain, and Toluca in Mexico. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. We're getting ready for January's live show at Hong Kong Stories just now. The show will have the theme Ready, Steady, Go, and the pitch workshops are on both Meetup and Facebook just waiting for you to sign up. The show will be performed live on stage at the Fringe Club on Thursday, January 23rd in 2020. That still sounds like the future. Ticketing will be available soon through links at our website, hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with a story from our July show with the theme Belonging, here is Jessica. In times of stress, many people turn to faith. After a really difficult 2016, I wanted to reconnect with my Catholic roots. I just needed a sign. But I hadn't really found a church that I liked since I was in college. But my friend recommended his church to me in Lower Manhattan in New York, so I figured I'd give it a try. Mass is at 6.30 p.m., which is perfect for me because I like long, leisurely Sunday mornings. I bounce up the marble stairs, which glisten with a warm pink glow in the evening sunset. The church is in a beautiful white stone building with wide columns, a large ornate fence, and it's nestled in between two brown stones. The inside is stunning. The kaleidoscopic light from the stained glass windows dances across the dark wooden pews. The choir sings in dulcet tones, so peaceful, so soothing. I'm entranced. Gorgeous? Check. Good music? Check. But I shouldn't base my decisions on such superficiality. Then, at the wine and cheese following the mass, that's right, they had a wine and cheese. They have this little mini Christmas market. All of the proceeds go to Guatemalan refugees. Right values? Check. And the wine and cheese, it has to be a sign. Okay, there's a lot of good things about this church. But would I get along with my fellow parishioners? I then spend the next hour and a half having 
awesome conversations and making friends, talking about how to organize to support immigrant communities in New York and the status of Christians in China. I am in love. So infatuated am I that I don't even realize how late it's getting. It's already nine o'clock at night. It's just me and a few members of the parish council. I say my goodbyes and make my way towards the door. In the absence of the congregation, the church has a very different atmosphere. There's an uncomfortable stillness. The lights are still on, but the statues create shadows that seem to fill the cavernous space and loom over me. I open the first set of doors and close them behind me and see that there's another set of doors to the entrance to the church. I have an uncomfortable sense of foreboding. I check the doors behind me. They're locked. That seems very strange to me. There should still be people cleaning up inside the building. I open the next set of doors and see that the iron gate in front of the church is locked with a giant padlock. And on top of the gate are large, sharp, club-like spears, making it impossible to climb over safely. There is no way for me to get out this way. I need to get the attention of the people inside the church to get out of the building. I ring the doorbell and then wait patiently for a few minutes. I may be trapped inside the grounds, but I don't want to be rude. This is my new church after all. I've got to make a good impression. I strain to see if here if I can find somebody coming towards me. Nothing. Okay, I decide to call my friend who recommended the church. Maybe he'll know what to do. He's not responding. Guiltily, but now really concerned that I actually am trapped, I begin ringing the doorbell over and over again. Nothing. Okay, I steady my breathing. In, out. <sighs> Abruptly, the lights in the entrance room that I am in blink out. I call my friend again. My phone dies. I am in pitch black darkness. I breathe in, out, in, out. The darkness amplifies every sound. There is no one else inside this building except for me, but every creak, every drip whispers to me a different story. I need to get the hell out of here. Jolting out of the building, I fling myself at the fence, trying to get the attention of passersby. A few probably thought I was trying to unsuccessfully rob the church. Eventually, this tourist couple stops and gives me their phone so I can dial 911. The police come 15 minutes later. The older police officer says to the other two that he's going to try to look around the building and orders them to stay with me. The two of them and myself stare at each other awkwardly for a few minutes. So, uh, how long have you guys been on the force? Five years. Three years. Oh, wow. So you guys must have some really interesting stories. Um, uh, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? 
probably this. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, come on. What's the second weirdest thing that's ever happened to you? Um, well, uh, the other week, this, uh, this guy tried to harass his ex-girlfriend by unleashing bees in her apartment. Wow. And you really think that this is weirder than that? This is, uh, pretty unusual, ma'am. The older police officer comes back and says that he can't find anyone, so he's going to call the station. I could be trapped here overnight. I ask him, isn't there a ladder? Doesn't anyone have just like a tall ladder? He ignores me and goes to make his phone call. The two other police officers begin strategizing how to get me over the fence. One of them thinks that I can climb it using the wide column next to me. He climbs over the fence to my side and shows me how to put one foot on the base of the column, bring my other foot up, and then kick really high over the column and then climb over that way. He proceeds to climb back and forth over the column a few times, making it look relatively easy. He then says, it's your turn. Don't worry, we'll guide you through it, and we're here to catch you if you fall on the other side. Okay, I am a black belt in Taekwondo. Yeah, this fence looks tall, and it's sharp, but I can do this. I put my one foot on the base of the column, put my other foot on the base of the column, and try to move around the column to get in position to hurl my foot over the fence. I make the mistake of looking down. The marble stairs look incredibly sharp. I could cut my head open on those stairs. I'm a black belt in Taekwondo, yes, but we kick, we don't climb. That's not something they teach us. I freeze and ask for my position on the column. Doesn't anyone have a ladder? Again, I think what, what's needed here is a ladder. The police officer sighs and says, yeah, it's okay. You know, I mean, I was a Marine for eight years, so I can see how it's easier for me. Why didn't he say that in the first place? Eventually, the older police officer returns, this time with the SWAT team. For those of you who do not know what the SWAT team is, these are the people that rescue you from terrorists, hostage situations, or crashed planes. I never thought one would have to rescue me from a church with a padlock. The, the SWAT team brings out a blowtorch. I gasp. Is this really necessary? They begin... To, uh, they begin to use the blowtorch on the lock. Sparks fly everywhere. I cringe. I am now responsible for the destruction of church property. Finally, I am free. I thank them profusely and sprint towards the subway, red with shame and embarrassment. The next morning, I find a voicemail from the church's pastor. 
He apologizes profusely. Ah, some welcome to the church that turned out to be. And he tells me that he hopes I will return. For a few weeks, I don't. But then, I decide maybe I will give it another chance. I was looking for a place that I belonged. And clearly that evening was a sign that the church wanted me to stay. Listeners, we hope you feel like you belong somewhere today. And if you do, or you don't, there's a story to tell about it all. Come and belong to one of our workshops and learn how to take your story further, all for free. Find the information you need on hongkongstories.com. We promise not to lock you out of the building. Our next story goes in a slightly different direction. This story was told at one of our top-notch shows in 2016. Here is Gina. Dasha was my favorite nanny to my son. He was about three when she was taking care of him, and she was in her early 20s, this tall, beautiful Russian blonde from a small town in the south of Russia, just recently moved to New York where we lived then. They had a blast. Bake cookies, make a collage, spend a rainy afternoon in the bookstore. Dasha was the best. This one time, I noticed the Bible on our dining table. As a liberal agnostic Jew living in Brooklyn, I had no reason to have a Bible in the house. But I did. An illustrated children's version with a glowing picture of blonde baby Jesus. We Jews, we just don't do baby Jesus. So for me, that was more of a private possession. I was embarrassed to admit I had it, but just never got to get rid of it. It was a present from back in the day when, as a teenager, I worked as an interpreter for American missionaries in Moscow. And as a Jewish activist teenager living in Russia and eager to move to Israel as soon as I was going to turn 18 to work in a kibbutz, working for Christian missionaries didn't exactly match my outlook then. But money does matter. I am Jewish after all. (laughs) I was paid $10 a day. I just couldn't pass the opportunity. And besides, it gave me a chance to practice English with actual, real-life Americans. Growing up in the Soviet Union, it's not like you get a chance to meet too many of those from the rotten capitalist West. And who cares that all they talked about was this guy, Jesus, who apparently loved me. I mean, kind of <laughs> creepy, but whatever. It was in English. So the head of the group, before leaving, gave me this Bible as a present. It was actually a leftover copy of what they were giving out in schools and orphanages, but I still kept it as a souvenir, a memento from my first encounter with those. Then years later, I met my American husband from a nice Jewish family and moved to the headquarters of the capitalist West, New York City. Dasha soon after she started working for us, was telling us all about how Christian she is and how she attends a service every Sunday and all those damn immigrants, they should go back to where they come from. (laughs) I was talking to my husband one night as he was reading a new book in bed. I mean, I like her and all, but all this talk, where is it all coming from? 
So my husband put the book on the bedside table, and I leaned over to take a look. What's that? Oh, that's that new Republican author, the ultra-conservative, the Christian fundamentalist one. Everybody's buzzing about. So obnoxious. But a good read. You should check it out sometime. Wait, you paid our money to support them? And, hold on, you kept the book on the bedside table all along? (gasps) Do you think Dasha saw it? And now she thinks that we're Christian fundamentalists? Should I have stopped Dasha's talk right there and then? Maybe. But nobody's perfect. And Dasha was the best nanny we had. So I just politely smiled, cringed on the inside, but turned a blind eye. I was still surprised when I saw my Bible on our dining table. Did Dasha dig that out from behind the back bookshelf? I figured she must have been reading it to my son and left it there on purpose to show us how proactive she was in helping us raise our son with good Christian values. Well, I might have never moved to Israel to live and work in a kibbutz, and I enjoy not-so-kosher ham and cheese sandwiches very much. And I even have Santa bring presents in winter. But I am Jewish. We Jews, we just don't do baby Jesus. Shall we tell her not to? I asked my husband later that night. Well, we can tell her not to read him this beautiful illustrated children's book, but why do we have it in the husband in the, uh, in the house in the first place, and now we're asking her not to read it to him? Don't you think it's a little odd? Why don't we just hide the Bible? <laughs> She's going to have to stick to Winnie the Pooh. <gasps> Great idea. Very mature. So... <laughs> I hid the Bible behind some dusty books on the very, very top shelf corner of our grand bookshelf, and it seemed to have worked. Few days later, however, the book miraculously appeared back on our dining table. And I didn't feel like discussing with Dasha, so I figured, hmm, let me just find a better hiding spot. So I hid the book this time on the very, very deep couch side of our big, big comfy chairs, and I figured this must be a better place. But just like before, just like it was a sign from God, the Bible kept on miraculously appearing back on our dining table. And we played that game for a bit until my husband had another idea. Why don't you just let her read him the Bible? I mean... It's a good storybook. It has walking on water and performing magic in public and rising from the dead. <laughs> Much more entertaining than Winnie the Pooh, hands down. <laughs> well, I suppose. So I let her read my son the Bible, and that lasted for a bit until this one time I come home from work and I find my mom, who was visiting us from Moscow, sitting in our living room at the dining table, visibly upset. What happened? Dasha this. What about her? So we were at the playground earlier today, talking about some random stuff, areas of Brooklyn, and then she goes, oh, I don't like Williamsburg. Too many Orthodox Jews live there. I don't like them. Hmm? You don't like Orthodox Jews? Oh, no, no, no. It's not like that. No, no, no. Jews in general. I don't like Jews in general. (laughs) (laughs) 
But they're also cunning, I just don't like them. Hmm? Well, our pastor always said that anyway. Well, you know we're Jewish, right? So the next day, Dasha quit. And I don't know if it was because she couldn't bear working for the Jews or if she was too embarrassed. But either way, that day, I decided it was time. I let go of my private possession from the teenage years. So I placed the Bible in the book swap library of our basement that our building had in the adventure section, right between the Harry Potter series and the Wizard of Oz. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.